0: Well, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, We are on page 35 under Lesson 6, The Plan of Salvation, Part 1. We are on the section on Unconditional Election. Unconditional Election. That's where we are. That's where we'll start. Um, But first... Before we get started, Matt, can I get you to open us in prayer? Well, I
1: think-
0: All right, so uh, what is unconditional election? Uh, our book gives us a definition of it. In eternity, God chose to save some and reject others according to his sovereign good pleasure. Election rests solely on grace, not foreseen merit in those elected So what we're talking about is uh, God's choosing of his people. So unconditional election or the doctrine of predestination. Uh, And so we're going to look and see what scripture says about this. Now, if you remember, uh, last time we looked at our workbook together, we looked at total depravity that man is uh, born in sin, that everything about man has been touched by sin, uh, that he, apart from regeneration, he is enslaved to sin, and that he does not desire to do good. And the reason I bring that up is because if you understand total depravity, then unconditional election necessarily follows. It is the only possible choice, uh, only possible way if you hold to total depravity. Um, and it's interesting that some in the evangelical church will say that they hold to. A form of total depravity that they believe man is sinful, that we're born in sin, all of these things. And then they'll turn around and reject God's free election of men. Um, and I don't see how that can logically cons- be consistent with, with each other. Um, because if you are dead in sin... And if sin has corrupted every part of you, and there is no one who does righteous, there is no one who seeks after God. If those things are true, then how can someone choose God in themselves? Um, and so that's where the question lies. You know, can a dead man choose to be alive again? Um, and obviously, the answer is no. Uh, And we we see from Scripture that it is not man who chooses, uh, but it is God who chooses. So let's first look at uh, God selecting some and rejecting others. Uh, Can I get someone to read Romans 8.28? And then someone else go ahead and be ready with Colossians 3.12.
1: To his
0: purpose. All right. So Romans 8, 28. Those who love God are stated to be those who are what? Called according to his purpose. To his purpose. Um, so we see that God calls his elect calls certain people and
1: for, his
0: for his purpose, yes. Um, Colossians 3.12. Therefore,
2: as the elect of God, full and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, weakness, long-suffering,
0: so, what are what are the Christians referred to as here? Chosen ones, the elect of God. I uh, mean, you you really can't get away from a doctrine of election. Um, now, you can explain it away. You can give a different understanding interpretation of election than the Reformed perspective. But everyone believes in the doctrine of election. You have to, because Scripture is so explicit about it. Um, Matthew, go ahead. I, guess, I, I just want to touch upon that.
1: Comment that even in Scripture, God
0: shows that. Yeah. If, if
1: Israel... Mm-hmm. He, he's from the beginning he formed them and he chose them
2: for a purpose so. let's start with Abram he chose him Right. and what did God do to deserve to be chosen by God what did Abram do to be chosen right. the answer of course is absolutely mm-hmm. so he had you know, so God chose Abram for a special purpose to create the nation of Israel. And you look back and you go, you know, this was a heathen, worshiping heathen gods in a heathen land. And God called him mm-hmm. and gave him enough instruction to understand circumcision and to understand the, whether he fully understood what it was about, but, you know, the setting apart of, of a race, of a people. Um, just, uh, it's fascinating to look at that flow of a uh, history back then and watch God at work. And I guess I'm a little jealous of Abraham, A little jealous of Moses. Because they got direct communication from God. And I sit back and go, well, I get direct communication in the Bible. But I sit back and go, how cool would that have been? Yes, Lord. You know, um, but he didn't do that to everybody, he just did it to a few. So I'm sure he wouldn't have been me, <laughs> even I was back there. But uh, it's fascinating to mm-hmm. see how that all unfolds. And, you know, King and Abel understood the, the purpose of sacrifice, even at the beginning, and what it was to symbolize and support. Because Adam and Eve were given clear instruction about what to do and what not to do by God. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we wonder how well, how did King know. The well they knew it because their parents taught them. Or they had communion with God correctly themselves. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't see that, but I you know, therefore I doubt it. But there's it you know God revealed himself as he, as he chose. Mm-hmm. It's 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 uh, the flow of history is just amazing to much but God chose these people for absolutely no reason whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Scripture, scripture says, you know, I haven't chosen you because you were the greatest, but, but you were the least. I haven't chosen you because of any of these things about you. Uh, I chose you because I loved you. Um, and I think that's, that's important to remember. What's uh, the
1: verse? I've
0: chosen you, you haven't chosen me? That's John 15. All right, and uh you know like i said you, you- you really can't get away from this divine election, this divine choosing uh matthew chapter twenty two verse fourteen Christ says, "For many are called, but few are chosen um, and don't don't confuse that statement of many are called as speaking of effectual calling uh That's not what it's talking about. Uh, It's talking about the outward call of the gospel. Many are called by the gospel, but few are chosen to come unto it. Um, And so it's interesting. This is, we've we've made mention of hyper-Calvinists before who believe that, you know, if God has chosen people unto salvation, why even go out and do evangelism? Well, this verse right here. Many are called, few are chosen. This, this is Christ himself saying the gospel goes forth and the call goes out to even those who are not chosen. Uh, so another example of the free offer of the gospel right there. Well, yes, also, sir. Uh,
1: as we were about, uh, Israel was uh, chosen, but not all Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure somewhere along the line in this workbook, we'll get to it when we start talking about the doctrine of the church. Uh, But that, what what you're highlighting is the distinction between the invisible church and the visible church. That in the invisible church, everyone is, uh, everyone who's a member of the invisible church has been regenerated, has been Bought, brought into the family of God. But those who are, are members of the visible church, scripture teaches us is the visible church is a mix between the wheat and the tares. Um, and that we have to suffer that the tares would remain with us lest we accidentally uproot the wheat as well. Um, and so we know that until the end of this age, that, uh, the visible church will always be a mixed multitude. Um, and so, yeah, like you were saying, just because, just because you're in the church, just because you even, even made a profession of faith, just because of that doesn't mean that you're you know, truly of Israel. Not all who are Israel are, are of Israel. Um, and so we'll probably get to that later on, but that does, that does tie in with, with our teaching here as well. Yeah.
1: So so if the paragraph, the parallel I just read there, I just read that that's some kind that I've told you. And all servants were real servants. Yeah. So if we have
2: doubts about all people believing, all the people sitting in the pulpit, I mean in the congregation, um what 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 assurance statement you made is very true. Not all will call on my name will will be uh, in my my house.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, How can we know? And it's a a challenging question to each and every one of us uh, as we contemplate work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, Are are we
1: saved? Where are you on Sunday? start from there. or something.
2: So it's, it's 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 a challenge. And you sit back and go, you have problems with this? Good land. You know, you're ten times more knowledgeable, ten times. You know, and they're writing books on this. You know, how can we know when they're, they're having issues on their
3: own? A lot this is tied to a factual calling, too. Mm-hmm. Like the verse that we just read. Mm-hmm. You are chosen, but many are called. <clears throat> Since election seems very esoteric.
0: Yeah, I think I think what you guys are seeing is that all of these doctrines really work together. And you can't have one without the other. Um you know, we don't need to sit here and you know, pretend like we have election goggles on and that we can tell who who the elect are, you know. We shouldn't be sitting here examining, you know, Charlie examining Matt. I'm examining Richard. Examining Jonah. Like we shouldn't be doing this, to the det- you know, scrutinizing each other's lives to determine whether or not we think that they're of the elect. Um, that's the that's, you know, the observation of people's lives and and the you know, recognition of whether or not we believe that they, they have made credible profession and are living out that credible profession. That's part of the keys of the kingdom, and that belongs to the church and, and, the, and the elders of the church uh, exercising the keys of the kingdom under the authority of, of King Jesus. Um, but what we should be doing is examining our own lives. Every one of us should be examining our own lives, and uh, you know, Paul says, "Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith." Uh, and he's talking to believers there. He's talking to people in the church, and so I think that's why it's so important for the gospel to be preached, even within a congregation where everyone is professing believers. Because the gospel is what causes self-examination. The gospel is what causes conviction. And we should always be doing that. But I I think that there is a tendency uh, among some people to so overanalyze and and nitpick and and self-examine to the point of they have no assurance. Um, and, And I think that is wrong. Uh, scripture testifies to the fact that we can be sure, um, first John, the whole book of first John is basically a book against false teachers and, uh, how to have assurance. If you want to summarize the book of first John, that's it. How to avoid false teachers and how to have assurance of salvation. Um, and I like, I like what the Westminster confession says on, on assurance of salvation and, uh. Chapter 18, paragraph 1. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and the estate of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. If you truly believe in Jesus, and if you love him in sincerity, and you are walking in all good conscience before him, then you ought to have assurance of your salvation. Um, And that assurance can can wane over time. There could be ups and downs. But um, there, there should never come a point where you completely lose any assurance. Because if all else fails, there's the testimony and the promise of the word that Christ Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And that Satan cannot pluck out any who are in his hand. And so that should give you comfort and assurance, even when you personally don't feel it yourself. Um, so yeah, this this ventures into a bunch of different uh, Doctrines, but I do think it is all related. Um, I, I think I think the lesson to be had there is uh, don't don't attempt to be you know election inspectors, you know, and also don't become so introspective, you know, trying to. One hundred percent find out with without any shadow of a doubt you are the the elect you know the one hundred percent fail safe proof that you are of the elect is that you love Jesus and you are seeking to obey his commandments um, and so i think i think I think we've said enough there in regards to assurance, but that that's good. To remind ourselves um, so that we don't walk down that path of, you know, essentially theologically beating ourselves up. All right, so now we're going to look at God's electing act uh, took place in eternity. Can I get someone to read Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 4, and then... uh, Real quick to, to note a typo. It is not Revelations. It is Revelation. Um, if someone can read Revelation seventeen eight, so Ephesians one four and then Revelation seventeen eight, uh, verse four. Even as <clears> he chose us in him before the
3: foundation.
0: All right. So when were we chosen?
3: Before the foundation of the
0: world. Before the foundation of the world, uh, before time began. Revelation 17:8. Go ahead. All right, so uh, this verse speaks of names being written into the book of life. When when does it say that believers' names were written into the book of life? Uh, from the foundation, from the foundation of the world. All right, so there we have two verses that very clearly puts this uh, choice of God, this election, uh, before. Uh, time began before the foundations of the world uh, in eternity past. And now uh, God's choice of his people, uh, it, it doesn't rest upon foreseen merit of those whom he elects. And this is what makes this election that we believe Scripture teaches, unconditional election. That it's not conditioned upon anything. Uh, I'll read Romans 9. Uh, I'll read Romans 9:11 through 13, if someone else can read Romans 9:16. All right. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Uh, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm in Romans 11. Talking about the Jews there. Romans 9, talking about Jacob and Esau. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So when, in, in, according to this passage, when did God choose Jacob over Esau? Before they were born. Before they were born. They were born. And why was this choice made? For the children not yet, being, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, and then here's the reason of why this choice is made, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Why did God choose them? Because he chose them. Because he's God and He can do it. And it says very clearly that it's before they had done any good or evil. So it can't be based on anything foreseen in them or anything that they did or anything like that. Why did he choose them? Because he chose them. That's it. Someone have Romans nine sixteen.
1: So then it is not of him
0: who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Alright, so what what are the two actions that are spoken of there that don't bring about salvation? Our own will and our own works. Yeah. Willing and running. Our own will and our own works. We can't will ourselves to heaven, and we can't work ourselves to heaven. So, what is the basis of the salvation?
1: The mercy of God.
0: The mercy of God. God who showeth mercy.
1: I still think that's part of, one of the best definition of unconditional love, too. When he asked, when I asked my why would you choose God? And I was like, wow. Mm hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here we see, you know, it's not upon the will of man, it's not upon the works of man, it's because of God's mercy, uh, God who shows mercy unto people, um, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, that's why he chooses people, uh, and the reason uh, that this is this section is put in this workbook, the reason that unconditional election is considered one of the five points of Calvinism uh, is because, if you remember your church history, the Senate of Dort in 1618-1619, uh, they were responding to five points of uh, remonstrance that the Arminians had proposed against the Reformed teaching. And one of those points is that man's election, or God's election of man, is conditioned upon foreseen faith. Uh, the way that they articulate it is that God looks down the corridor of time, knows who is going to believe in him, and that is what he bases his election upon, is your foreseen faith. Um, and so the Senate of Dort, in their rebuttal of that, articulated this doctrine that election is not conditioned upon foreseen faith, but is simply an act of God's uh, uh, good pleasure, that it's based solely upon him doing it. Uh, And in order to create a nice little memorization device, someone came up with the acronym TULIP, uh, which accurately describes these doctrines and coined this doctrine unconditional election. Uh, but this is this is in opposition to the conditional election of the Arminians. And that conditional election uh, is what the majority of evangelical Christians today believe. Uh, they'll phrase it a little differently. They'll use, they'll use the phrase, you know, well, God knows everything, so He knows who's going to believe in Him. That's the same thing, you know. It may not use the fancy language of the court or a time, but it's the same thing. Um, and so that that view of of election being conditioned upon man is is the dominant view in modern christianity and so you're going to experience it a lot um i don't think i don't think it's wise to you know walk up to your armenian coworker and just start a debate about election and predestination but you know we do need to be able to correct errors and answer questions whenever if they, they arise.
2: The
0: yeah. Let them pull the trigger. Uh, I uh I was filling in at the at the local Christian school on Friday for the Bible teacher. And on Fridays they do uh discussion days and they they already have planned out what the discussion topics are going to be. And this past Friday was predestination versus free will. So I got to I got to moderate a discussion between a bunch of high school kids regarding predestination and free will. That was pretty fun. Was it like
1: debate
0: format? Or- no, it was just open 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 discussion. Uh, I mean, you know how kids are; they're not really willing to take initiative to to get things going. So I had to ask a lot of questions, but. Uh, it it helped me in my preparation for this. Very this helps you in
2: your preparation
0: for that. Yeah. All right. So uh any any other any other statements or, or questions, comments about uh it not being upon foreseen events. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Because they're lost, and that's what they're holding on to. It's important for us to uh, to witness to them. But often, because uh, they say they're Christians, we tend to just Mm -hmm. just let it go.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thankfully the majority of run-of-the-mill evangelicals who would say that they hold to free will uh, and don't believe in predestination. Thankfully most of them are cons are, are inconsistent and uh they won't say that that they their works contribute to anything. Um uh, most of them will say that they're resting in Christ alone for their salvation. Uh, you know, it's not right theology that saves us in and of itself. And I think that's a helpful reminder to us. Uh, but consistent Arminianism is heresy because at that point you are putting your trust in your own works, uh, and and you've you've balled into another gospel. Um, and in the Senate of Dort condemned Arminianism as heresy. Um, and so you know I, I, I do think that there are those who out of ignorance would, would say that they're they hold to Arminian doctrine or, or to free will, but they are inconsistent in their understanding of it. Those who are consistent Arminians, I don't believe are Christians because I think they've bought into a false gospel. And the consistent Arminian teaching really isn't that different from the doctrine of salvation for Rome. It's not. Well, you accuse them
2: of that. Those that
0: are fighting words. Oh yeah, it's fighting words. <laughs>
2: They, they they despise Rome.
0: Yep. But, you know, the minute
2: you the minute you bring any 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 bring me into the gospel uh, your that's what Rome does.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are Yeah fighting words. Yeah. That's what God's gospel.
3: for analogy, for no new, uh, you would say. Um, and so they understand it as uh, forcing faith. That's what they read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, I guess look at it as a philosophical idea that God knew um, what's going to happen um, so somehow there's like an independent will outside of, of God's uh, that he just interacts with and
0: chooses on that basis yeah yeah um, so you hit on two different things foreknowledge and then Molinism um, Molinism, Molinism, named after Molina, Molina, Molina. Uh, so, uh, foreknowledge—the issue—the issue with the Armenian view of foreknowledge is that it it takes it to mean foreseeing, when the actual word that. We translate into foreknowledge carries with it a a notion of intimate relationship. Uh, the same the same word re- relating to foreknowledge that 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 word knowledge and foreknowledge the Greek term there is the same word the Septuagint uses regarding Adam knowing Eve. And that's, like, no one is going to sit here and say Adam knowing Eve was just he looked upon her, saw her. There was an intimacy there with that knowing. Uh, It it involves intimacy in relationship, uh, love, caring. And that's why we say that uh, election is based solely upon God's good pleasure and his love for his people. That foreknowledge is that love. And so, you know, it's not its not see, foreseeing, it's not looking ahead and foreknowing what would take place. Foreknowledge has to do with The intimate relationship that God had with his people beforehand. Um, and then Molinism is absolutely insane. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it it, it is flat out heresy. It's crazy. Um, people say that it's consistent. I don't see how the argument that it's consistent can be maintained. Um, what Molinism teaches, and I think Richard did a good job explaining this, uh, that God basically looked at all possible contingencies and foreordained the reality that we're in instead of all the other possibilities of what could take place. Um, And it really does place something outside of God. Something to which God is subservient and has to respond to. uh, And that is the possibilities. Um, And at that point, if there is something outside of God, something that God is subservient to and has to respond to, then is God God or is that other thing God? So that, that's where I say Molinism breaks down. First of all, because it's absolutely insane. Second of all, because it, it denies that God is God. You have to. Uh, you have to say that God is weak if you're going to take a Molinist position. Because there is something that is greater than God. That he has to respond to. And that's blasphemous. That's heresy. Um, You don't see a lot of Molinists anymore. Uh, Most of it has been subsumed under. uh, Open theism. Which is very similar. Uh, But even then like. That whole notion, it gained some ground in different stages, different periods of time. I think the last time it made any headway within the church was like in the 90s. Um, I don't know of anyone who's a theologian today who would be a Molinist, per se.
1: William Blake.
0: So William, that that's, I was going to bring him up and just as soon as I finished. William Lane Craig, people have accused of being a Molinist. I think his understanding is a little bit different from Molina. Um, obviously, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and defend William Lane Craig. I think he's closer to an open theist than he is to a classical Molinist. Um... Either way, it's heresy, but that I mean that's probably the only theologian that you may encounter who would hold to something similar to that position. Um, I don't know of anyone else. maybe you guys are more familiar with Molinism than I am, but from my understanding it's kind of it's kind of fell to the wayside. People see the absurdity of it. Any other questions, comments? All right. I think that's a good place for us to, to stop for today. And then we will uh, we'll pick up in regards to uh, works and faith in relation to election next week. Um, so, there are no more questions, Bob, can I get you to close us in prayer?
2: Lord, we thank you for this day. A beautiful, snowy day. Lord, we pray that uh, you continue to bring people here in spite of the snow. Lord, we thank you for worship, and we can be here to worship you this morning. Be with Josh as he opens your word. And view us as we listen and respond. Lord, we thank you for this day again. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.